Um, I came up with this um, this title. I thought it was clever. If you remember, the New Orleans Saints had the chance to go to the Super Bowl, and then there was that pass interference, obvious pass interference, and apparently they brought a lawsuit. Um, I don't know where. Supreme Court? I don't know where do those lawsuits go. NFL? Anyway, I thought it was clever. It might be a little too late, though. Oh, let's pray that God would help us. <clears throat> Father, these words are empty apart from your spirit. So we ask that he would come and speak to us through this word that he authored. We are yours, and we ask that you would do a work in us to your praise and glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How transformative is the gospel? How transformational has it been in your life? Has it affected your relationships with people? Has it affected your marriage? Has it affected the way you raise your children? Has it affected the way that you manage your finances? Well, if you're like me, and you were raised in a, a covenant home uh, with Christian parents, uh, then you can say, uh, yes, but then again, I don't really recall a time when I wasn't affected by the good news of the gospel. So does that mean that you hear the good news of the gospel once and then you're done? No. Uh, A friend of mine was teaching a a course on covenant theology, and I asked one of the people in the class, I said, "Um, have you been enjoying the class? And they said, "Um, it's okay, but it's really nothing new. Well, I'm sorry, but I need to be reminded of this constantly. I studied covenant theology in seminary, uh, but it doesn't mean that I don't need to be reminded of how great and how awesome the plans of God are in salvific, redemptive history. Paul has brought the gospel to the Corinthian church, but they have forgotten, or at least they have forgotten how it Uh, works in their lives. And they are bringing outside worldly previous thinking into the church. When Paul is saying over and over and over again, remember the gospel, remember the gospel, remember the good news that you are no longer slaves to this kind of thinking. Uh, A lot of our focus over the last several weeks in this series has been on community. In chapter 1, Paul says, Be united uh, in the same mind uh, as a church community. Uh, In chapter 3, he says, uh, Don't create division that is not there in your church community. In fact, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas uh, or the world or life or death or uh, present or future, all are yours. In chapter 5, he says, 
You as a church community have failed to do what is right and you are allowing the brother or sister who is in outright disobedient sin, you're allowing them to remain in their sin and you're allowing them to remain in the church. How unloving. And now in chapter 6, Paul raises the specific issue of Christians taking each other to court. There is so much revolving around this church community. Do you reckon Paul is pointing to the importance of community? This community in Corinth is spending so much time together. They are so engaged and interacting with each other that they're taking each other to court constantly. But you see why these issues are coming up for them? It's because their community is so close. Uh, making mistakes, yes, obviously, that's why we're studying this. Paul's writing these letters to them because they're making a mess of it, but they are together. Uh, One of the issues in the American church is that we are so individualistic. We're like the guy on the street that's wearing headphones and, and walking down the street, and we listen to what we like, and we think what we like, and we block out all interaction with anything around us. And so we look at the issues that we've been looking at in Corinth and we say, look at all their fighting. The easiest thing would be to just remain disengaged. Put your headphones on, have a couple of conversations, and then go on with whatever it is that you're doing. But you see, that is not community. So while the Corinthians are making a mess of community, they are nevertheless in community. That's a word for us today. Now to the main point of this passage in chapter 6, and we'll read through it as we we break it down. Sadly, this situation does happen in churches today. Lawsuits among believers. Uh, A group of friends uh, back in Australia who uh, got together and they were investing their money with another friend. These are all Christian people. And that investment went belly up. And the friends took the other man to court to sue him. Terrible situation among brothers and sisters in Christ. This does happen in the church. Back then, uh, the Corinthians were taking each other to court continuously over all kinds of issues. Uh, And they wanted the civil authorities to make the rulings. I'm also aware that this may also seem like a total disconnect for most of you. You're not being sued by your friends or people in the church, and that's good. I like to keep it that way. So what, then... Is Paul telling us overall, what is he trying to convey to us through this? He's saying, remember who you are. Remember who you are now. Remember who you are now in the light of Jesus Christ. Now, as we dive into this issue of identity, which is so important... There are three things Paul says to the Corinthians, to us, about identity. I'm sorry we don't have slides because I didn't turn them in soon enough. (laughs) 
There's a consideration of identity. There's a crisis of identity. And there's a recovery of identity. First, we consider our identity. Regardless of how many mistakes and issues these Corinthians are making or going through, Paul wants them to know that they have been set apart. They are God's community. They are saints. And in light of that, it shines a light on the craziness, on the absurdity of their disputes as the family of God. Verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? God has set the Corinthian believers apart and made them holy. The church is to be God's community. And we are to treat each other in the way that he has called us to and not in the way that the world treats each other. Identity as God's saints means that we are to show uh, an alternate way of doing life. Just like the Israelites in the Old Testament were called to show a different way of life to the surrounding nations. And God's justice system runs different from the world's justice system. And the church is the one place where it should be on display. It reminds me of the... Uh, Charleston uh, shooting, if you remember from several years ago. Here's a white supremacist who comes in and shoots up a black church when they're having a prayer meeting or Bible study. And what was the response to this? Well, the world looked at it and said, they start pointing fingers. Well, it's this group who's responsible, and it's that person who's responsible, and it's this is, responsibility lays here. What was the response of the members of the church and the people who were family and friends of those that were shot? If you saw that, when they put the video of that young boy, because I'm assuming he's being kept somewhere else, and one by one, family member, church member gets up, person after person calling on this boy to repent and turn to Jesus, even after what he had done to them. What a picture. If you want a picture of what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, that image right there captures that. These people standing up, and it's being broadcast across the world. And they're showing grace and forgiveness and calling for repentance. Now, they know the justice system will work its process out, but they're offering that individual hope. Paul wants the Corinthians to consider their identity. What is it? Who are they in Christ as they consider this church issue about handling disputes and grievances? He says, you are saints. At the beginning of Corinthians in chapter 1, we looked at 
Paul writes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You are sanctified. Believers are called out as part of the church. The word church, ecclesia, means called out ones, to be called out. We have been set apart. We are holy ones. Not holy as in perfection, but in the sense that we have been called by Jesus and in Him we are set apart. That's what a saint is. And so what do saints do? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? At the end of time, when God sets the world right, when he balances the scales of justice, he will include those whom he has made right, those whom he has justified in that process. And whatever these verses mean, because we don't necessarily have total clarity, they do tell us that justice in the church The way that we deal with our issues should be superior to the system of justice in the world. But sadly, this is rarely the case. Christians are notorious for infighting, for backstabbing, for gossip, for slander. And and all of these are denials of God's work in us. And, And it goes against what God has designed for our future together. We have a shared identity as God's future community that will be given rights and responsibilities to judge the the world. So, verse 4, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? A family ought to be able to handle its own business. Now back to our idea of the uh, American isolationist church. I know, I know the typical response here is to leave the church. It's just easier if I have been offended by someone or wronged by someone to just pack up my bags and go to the next church down the street. But listen, that is so unhelpful. That is not what you do in a family, is it? You don't just say, sorry family, um, I'm moving in with the Joneses down the street. We are individuals who have been made right with God. We sure should be able to make things right with each other. Despite the fact that God has given this identity to his church, we are still prone to live in ways that are counter to our very identity. God views us one way, but we choose to shape our identities around the things that please us and the things that comfort us and the things that excite us. And there is a crisis of identity, a case of gospel amnesia. 
which leads us acting like non-saints and leads us acting as unrighteous. Verses 5 to 8, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. We aren't told what this dispute or these disputes are. But we can assume that they are not serious. And by taking uh, their issue to the public courts, the Corinthians are, are demonstrating to the rest of the city of Corinth that the church doesn't believe the gospel has the resources to overcome petty differences. Now, I do want to say here, Paul is not talking about criminal cases here. Uh, Otherwise, I think he would certainly agree to go to the civil authorities. Now, there are some churches that uh, try to deal with serious criminal cases on their own, and that, that is a terrible mistake. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about these smaller issues. And yet, here's the irony. In chapter 5, the people do not pronounce judgment on the man who is in uh, uh, outright defiant sin while possibly judging those outside of their community. And yet, in in chapter 6, we have them judging people inside but taking them to court outside of the community. It's crazy. And Paul's point is picked up. You know, he says, you are so wise when he's being sarcastic in chapter 4. Oh, you are so wise because that's what they think of themselves. They think themselves wise. And yet, he says, not one of you is wise enough to settle a simple dispute between brothers. (laughs) That's what you can call a gospel identity crisis. And as a community, they are looking like the community that surrounds them. Verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These are not simply actions that people commit. They are their very identities. And there's no hierarchy of sin here. When you find your identity in an idol, whether it be money or work, your relationships, the things you consume, or even your own sexuality or your sexual ethic, it will lead to personal and communal breakdown. And Paul reminds them, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. They were once these things. They once put their identity in these things. Ultimately, the Corinthians are acting as if their God-given identity is of no importance. 
They are forgetting the gospel. They are failing to be what they are. They are saints, but they are acting as non-saints. They are righteous, but they are living as though they were unrighteous. The result is a community that should be a display of what future community with God looks like. Totally fallen, totally broken. So how do you recover from gospel amnesia? What is the response? What does the recovery look like? Where do you find resources to be able to help handle these family disputes within the church? First, you remember the beauty of the gospel. When we forget our identity, the answer is not to learn a new one. The answer is to relearn the one that we have been given, that you already are. Our identity is not ours to form. It has already been formed for us and given to us as a gift. As one writer put it, our identity in Christ allows us to absorb the blows because Christ absorbed them on our behalf. Verse 7, why not suffer for wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? This only makes sense if you have nothing to lose. If suffering wrong is not an ultimate threat to you. If being defrauded is not a loss to you. Suffering wrong and being defrauded are not ultimate grievances because Christ bore the ultimate grievances in our place. He endured the wrong that we ought to have endured. He was defrauded of what was rightfully His in order to give us what we never deserved. If Christ absorbed all these wrongs, if Christ absorbed all of our attacks, if Christ absorbed all of our rejection, then when others do the same to us, we can practice gospel memory in place of gospel amnesia which will give us the resources to absorb the blows of others. This is what forgiveness is all about. This is what the Christian pursuit of reconciliation is all about. Suffering wrong and being defrauded are not ultimate grievances because Christ bore those ultimate grievances in our place. He pursued reconciliation and brought the perfect balance of Uh, being able to demand justice and hand out grace all at the same time. This changes everything about the way we understand justice and reconciliation. Uh, Our courts function on justice. Uh, We do not want grace to invade our criminal justice system. And yet, we want grace. How can the two ever come together? Grace and justice perfectly balanced in the heavenly law court. We don't simply demand justice. and We don't simply hand out grace because of the work of Christ. Justice and grace meet perfectly. 
And the mystery of the gospel is that God is both perfectly just and perfectly gracious in forgiving sinners. And the church should be the one place on earth where people can see that balance in place. A people who have been washed. The filth of sin has been removed. We are cleansed. We can stop trying to hide our sin and brokenness because it has been dealt with. A people who are sanctified. The grip of sin has been released. We are freed. We don't have to live under the illusion that sin will ultimately win the day. We're free to pursue joyful obedience by the power of the Spirit. A people justified. The identity of sin has been replaced. We are accepted. So what does that mean for us when we get wronged? It means we can forgive. It means we can embrace. Because we are reminded of the truth of the gospel that Jesus forgave and embraced us when there was nothing positive in us. We don't live in fear of what others will make of us. And we can have a right self-assessment because God has already made the final statement in where we stand in relation to Him. This is the essential foundation for life with God and life in community. The Christian community takes sin seriously, but handles it graciously. The church is a court like no other. Justice is served when grace is extended. Repentant people are forgiven. Radically broken individuals are restored. We fight gospel forgetfulness and identity crisis by pressing into one another the gospel. By pressing into one another the gospel. By pressing into one another the gospel. But again, none of this happens if we live isolated lives. If we're unwilling to be open and honest with one another. Oh, that when people speak of our church, that they would say, That's where broken people are mended. That's where lost people are found. That's where their people love as Christ loved us. Oh, that that would be the case. Let's pray. Father, we confess that our identities often find this crisis a reality. It's so easy for us to get caught up in circumstances and get caught up in anything that would detract from you. And we stare down at our feet and wonder how we got there. And sometimes it's because we've isolated ourselves and we've not been in loving gospel community. And sometimes it's because we're at war with a brother or sister. So we consider leaving the church or skipping Sunday or whatever it looks like. 
Yet that's not what you've called us to. You've called us to something far better. For Christ has suffered and died for us that we can be redeemed people and we can be redeemed people together in community. And so because we have been forgiven and we've put off those old things, we can be honest about the struggles that we face in life, free of judgment and And we can press one another onward, speaking words of truth and life that come from, by your Spirit, from your Word. So would we be those people who lift one another up in prayer, encourage one another in the Word, who love one another deeply from the heart? May those be the things that mark us as a community. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.